you know, but back then, I mean, I don't know that there was actually clear definition of, well, really, what is deep air diving? I need to be able to help somebody else. If I can't help somebody else, then I've already gone beyond my own personal limit. But if you take away from them the ability to push limits, you don't know what those limits are. Uh, we were regarded as the wild and crazies who were coming out of the freaking closet, you know? You know, you can do all of the, all, all the mathematics and paper uh, on paper, but if you don't have real world experience, you know, the human body is a pretty amazing thing. And so is the brain. You know, on the podcast last week, you were talking about uh, the, the dichotomy. Was it just, was tech diving just going beyond recreational limits? Uh, right. Or was it something else? And, and it was right. really something else. What makes humans so special is the ability, the desire to push themselves and take those risks when the odds are against them. Of course, now, you know, tech divers driving the bus, right? I mean, tech diving is the vanguard of the sport diving industry and the recreational divers and kind of the back of the bus enjoying themselves as they should. Right. Yeah, you know, on the holiday and everything else. But, uh, but yeah, we're struggling for that back then, so. It was like, see, these guys are fucking cowboys. <laughs> Wawa diving, let's call it that. You know, single eighty, no redundancy. You know, whatever. Well, that wasn't me. That was everybody. No, no, no. Hundred meter dives. You know, hundred meter dives. I am a believer in the deep anything diving when you're employing like a cave diving rule, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to use a third, a third up, um, and a third for my buddy. Um, that of course doesn't necessarily take into account decompression, obviously, but I think that when you are going to be responsible for somebody else in that scenario, that's, that's not cool. That's right. not cool. That, because that's, you, that's, you, that's not cool. That's not cool. Yeah. You know, if, uh, if, 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 if you want to go on your own and say, I'm going to do a third down and however far I get my comfort level and a third up. And if I die, I die, whatever. Hey, God bless you. Go have a good time doing it. I don't have a problem with that. But when you are, when, when, when people are reliant upon you or you, or you're reliant upon people. Um, yeah, absolutely. It, 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 there's a line I think there that needs to be drawn. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast, everybody. Brando. Jamesy. We have got a special treat for the people today. It's the, a Thanksgiving miracle. It's a Thanksgiving oh, treat for sure. It is pretty awesome, everybody. And as you've heard, all of you old-time listeners of the Great Dive Podcast might remember back that old intro that... Some of you gave us a hard time about being way too long at 59 seconds. Well, now you get to listen to it for a minute and a half. Yeah, but it's spiced up a little bit. We've got a, uh, you know, we've got some sound sound bites in there from uh, a couple of uh, big big deals in in diving. Yeah, yeah. So those voices you heard are from the Bob Rabo. If uh, you were paying attention to last week's episode the call of the wawa and also that of uh, michael menduno from aquacore magazine originally but uh 
uh, you know, back in the day who published that story, but and uh, from In Depth Magazine Today. Right. And we were lucky enough to be able to sit down and kind of revisit that whole story with these two guys. Man, Brando, I mean, what just amazing conversation. It was really uh, one of my, uh, you know, I don't want to say bucket list things, but it was just awesome to, to listen to these guys who were in the thick of it back in the day when, when tech diving. Of course, Michael coined the term tech diving, and you got the, the godfather of the word right there, if you want to call it that. And, um, but we're right in the meat of it all, in, in the, the birth of tech diving and how, you know, we were the redheaded stepchild, if you will, of, of scuba world. And the, main, the main agency wanted our heads on a platter, to a certain degree, and right? More than just the main agency, like the, yeah. the main publishing in scuba diving. I mean, well, the entire, they just follow suit, I think. Yeah, you know? the entire mainstream, you know. Because we're was... crazy. You're crazy. Cowboys, uh, reckless. And, and, and that was kind of cool to actually address, to a certain degree, what what is tech diving? Is it uh, just going deep? Well, we know that it isn't. You'll learn that in this conversation. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, like Michael just said in that little intro, you know, we were, you know, the, the, the wild loonies. and crazies, yeah. those people that were tech diving. But then at the same time, you know, he and Aquacore were saying, but we're not that wild and crazy. We're not doing <laughs> right. this crazy. We're not doing this wah-wah we're diving. Like 400 we're, feet like, on that's air. That's not us either. Tank. Like, like we're, we're stuck somewhere in the middle, you know. And then right. you look at today, like he says, you know, it's, it's the technical community, which is in the driver's seat of oh. where the scuba scuba in general is going so th th i mean this is fun it was such a fun interview um i'm excited to bring this to you the people of the great dive podcast so check it out yeah yeah check it out well all right yeah. everybody well maybe we should get this uh, show started this is a heck of a Brando and I are here with uh, the Bob Ramo uh, who you guys may remember uh, we touched upon a little bit last week and the Michael Menduno as well uh, from the old Aquacore which uh, had published the, that story that we did the Call of the Wawas mm -hmm. and uh, correct me if I'm wrong but but did that story get printed because of the letter that uh, Bob wrote to you, the, the I heard the Wawa or did the, the did that letter? <laughs> that was how I first heard about it. Bob called me and said, God, I just had this, you know, incredible experience and started talking about it. I heard the Wawa, you know, and so from there, yeah, we reached out to Brett and et cetera and others to follow up on the story. Yeah. All right. Well, it this seemed important. <laughs> it's still a good story today. <laughs> it is. No, it totally is. Yeah, no, it totally. It's still a good story. I mean, it, I mean, this is like pure diving excitement story, no doubt about it. And, and there's backstory too. So <laughs> I can vouch for that. Let's get into the the, the letter that Bob wrote, and I'm sure along the way the the, the backstories are going to come up. Uh, more questions are going to come up. And uh, more history will come up, and we'll just work our way through it. And feel free to, you know, stop at any point when something pops in your head. And I mean, I've got a a bunch of questions I know I have, and I'm sure Brando's got some questions he's got. And 
But this is it, everybody. The uh, I've heard the Wawa. Joe Odom asked me, how deep are you going to go? We want to go deep. We want to go deep. I said I'll go as deep as I feel comfortable with. I don't care how deep you guys go. When I say that's enough for me, I stop and I come up. Irrelevant to what you guys are doing. I said I'm not here to set any personal records or industry records. I'm here to have a good time. Now, we were we were asking this question the other day when we were recording this is, you know, was this just like uh, everybody's <laughs> Uratech, uh, you know, thing? And then we're at the pub one night and it's, you know, I, I there were a couple of 80s sitting over there. Like, uh, <laughs> you want to go, uh, you can hit 400 or how did it, how did it pop up? <laughs> no, it, you know what? It, it, it was more of like uh, there was a there was just a couple of guys, Joe and Brett, talking about, you know, a recreational day, non-training, doing a deep air dive. And I had gotten wind of it and was like, oh, I, you know, I totally want to do that. Um, so that's kind of really how that how that came about. That It was not something that was uh, announced that, you know, to, to everybody. It was totally definitely a, a small little inside group myself and Skaggs, um, you know, Joe, uh, Brett. Uh, and, uh, you know, I had been, I had been cave diving 240, 250 feet on air. You know, I've, I had a couple of 230, 240 foot dives on air, a couple of deeper dives on Adoria on air, of course, you know, before mix and then went to mix obviously, but, um, mix wasn't available. It sounded like a fun thing to do. So, uh, I was in for going, you know, to at least, you know, what I'd previously been to 240, 250, just for the hell of it, just to go diving. Um, and I think, well, I'll go as far as I'm comfortable going and, you know, I'm a big boy. I, I'm not, no peer pressure. I'm not going to go any deeper than anybody wants me to go. I'm going to go as deep as I feel comfortable going. And then that's, that's it. Cause you were, you were down there for the Drager Uatech instructor training on yes. the Drager unit, but that was just what recreational rebreather training at the time. At the time. Yeah. We we're down there for rebreather training. Yep. To become instructors on the, on the, on the Drager. And this was an off day where we were just diving for fun. Got it, got it. You see here, uh, they all dove single 80s. I was very uncomfortable diving with a single 80. So I jury-rigged some telephone wire to an 80 stage bottle because I refused to go that deep on a single 80. I wanted to at least have a backup bottle. So in my experience, all my dives, I was always diving doubles. And just, you know, to not have that volume of air with me at those depths just was... Uh, not something I had ever done. And this wasn't going to be a place for me to, to do that for the first time. I just, it just went against everything that I'd been comfortable with. I've always dove doubles. So going in the water with two bottles for something deep, um, just that's in my wheelhouse. That was in my comfort zone. And I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to change that. So uh, there was extra 80 around. There was a little uh, like a little uh, shack, uh, at the dock, and I was able to find some telephone wire in there, and I was like, "Well, this will work, man. I don't got no clips, nothing. I'll just wire it to me, and we'll right. make it work, you know." And that's it. So I grab an extra regulator, throw it on a tank, and you know, I'll have my second bottle should I need it. Now, did uh, did they look at that? And when I say they, like like Joe and Brett, is is thinking like that was a major part of the hindrance that you had later on because of the extra drag, the, because of the extra work you had to do with the bottle versus. There no, was really streamlined no, lightweight rig. No, there was really no discussion about that at all. You know, um, no, none at all. They were like, Hey, whatever makes you comfortable, you know, you're a big boy and 
you know, you know what your experience level is. You do all this deep diving up in the Northeast and whatever, whatever's comfortable, go for it. No, they were very, they, they were, they were very, uh, you know, Brett, Brett, especially, you know, Brett and Joe, especially Joe too, you know, so I had a, a real good friendship with Joe, just very, um, you know, go along with it, you know, whatever, whatever works for you, we need you to be comfortable. If you're not comfortable, then don't do it. You know, so there was no pressure, none at all. They, they were, they were awesome. You know, later in here, you're going to say something about that, about Joe saying that, uh, you know, about your, your state of mind, whether or not you were in control. And uh, uh, what I'm get, get, catching from you there is, it's, it, was that like the, the, the deep air training, the, the experience training and the ex that they were talking about is like, it's a matter of like learning yourself to the point of knowing when you're in control versus when you're out of control to, to set those limitations? There wasn't really any discussion about that. Okay. Quite honestly, you know, I had, uh, you know, uh, just a discussion pretty much with Joe because uh, Joe was going to be, you know, the deepest. Joe was like, you know, no one's no one's allowed deeper than me. So uh, and I'm like, well, I don't know how I don't know how deep you guys are going, but I'm only going as deep as I feel comfortable going, you know. Um, but the the thing that got me was, you know, back up in the Northeast, you know, you don't have all this really nice crystal clear water always. So uh, I always kind of just like cascade down, just kind of just kind of float down uh, here. Um, you know, you really had to, to, to kick to get down if you wanted to get down deeper, um, you know, than, than what you were. And I think that extra workload for me, really not used to swimming down headline on a cable, pulling down on a cable, not used to that. Uh, I'm used to jumping over the side of a boat on a limp anchor line, just kind of floating down alongside of it to go set it. So having this perfectly rigid steel cable and pulling on it and kicking and going down, uh, a little bit, you know, something new, something I really hadn't done before, you know, but yeah. Yeah. Big change. Big change. You say uh, on the first day I dove deep, I was completely in control. I was completely capable of helping somebody else, which is my measurement of my comfort level. If right. I feel that I cannot help somebody else, I'm in over my head. I don't like being able to just take care of me. I like to take care of someone else if there's a problem. If I can't, I have no business being there. And I did not feel that way at 300 plus feet. I felt fine. I mean, I was narked, but I checked my gauges and I stopped at 250 feet on the way up in case somebody needed air. On the second day, I'm diving a dive right trans pack with the travel wing, which is only 30 pounds of lift. And I'm in an eighth inch shorty. When we did the second dive, we were out on this uh, cable. It's in 7,200 feet of water and over 21,000 feet long. The buoy is approximately 75 feet in diameter. It's big. You can have a party <laughs> or 100 people on the top of this thing. There's no bottom reference. This thing's like an island, it sounds like. Uh, it was gigantic. It was a Navy cable buoy. And uh, so that's just what you guys used as uh, basically a, a, a visual reference. Yeah. To yeah, that was our visual. That was our visual reference. Was that was that Navy cable? Yeah. But that was it. I mean, it's just blue water after that. Eh? Blue water, complete. Yeah, blue water. No, no reference. No reference. No reefs. You know, just just deep blue water. It's pretty cool. And, and for for a lot of people, you know, like we noticed that a lot of their planning, you know, they'll dive with a buddy, but their planning really doesn't incorporate the teammate the buddy's just there out of like stipulation 
<laughs> but they really haven't thought about things like this, like having the mindset to take care of the buddy, having the gas reserve to really take care of a buddy, you know? Well, I owned a dive store and all I did was teach. So I wasn't just a, a diver that just on the weekends would go diving with whoever I was buddied up with on a boat. You know, I had a responsibility pretty much every, every time I got on the water. You know, I crewed on the Eagle's Nest. I had a responsibility to the captain. I had a responsibility to the crew. I had a responsibility to the clients. Uh, and then outside of that, I was always teaching. So I had a responsibility to my client, you know. So uh, I'm, I'm, I was always in the water and had a responsibility um yeah you know so even when you're not in that same scenario you know that's a trait that you carry with you at least i do you know to this day whatever i do you, you know i just i always feel like i'm responsible for somebody else and it's just inherent yeah i think it's a it's a mindset you know that you know, either that's the mindset you dive with or or it's not you know right Right. And I'm not saying that it's better or worse than anybody else's mindset. That's just my mindset. You know, I'm with you. I'm with you. And, you know, for me, it's a it's a uh, it's a good way of gauging, you know, uh, whatever it is that you do in life, whether it's, you know, uh, snowmobiling or, you know, how thin of ice am I going to go ice fishing on or, you know, scuba diving or, or or the things that I do. It's a good way to measure, you know, am I am I being too risky? You know, it's one thing to risk yourself, but when you risk yourself and you're not there to help someone else, should they need you, you know, uh, that's your, you're pushing your limits too much. In my opinion, if I'm all by myself, that's a different story. But if I'm with people, I have a responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. You say here that you made two big mistakes that day. I grabbed my weight belt from my rebreather instead of my weight belt from my single 80. So there's an extra eight pounds of lead on my belt, and I'm a completely oblivious to it. I had no clue. I just grabbed my belt, not even thinking. Yep. Right. Grabbed the wrong belt. You said uh, Brett wasn't diving this day. Brett and Joe were saying that one of the things that you need to do, be able to do, is if you're going to go down, and get is to get down there fast and to get out of there fast. And I said, well, I couldn't keep up with you guys. They asked how I came down. Well, like you were just saying a minute ago, you kind of floated down like you normally would. But uh, Joe was saying that there's a lot of drag that way, and you got to have to go down head first. And he said, I'm like, I never go down head first. I said I'd go down head first and try and keep up with you guys. Right. So I just jump in the water and go behind Joe Odom, and I'm swimming upside down, straight down. I'm kicking to go down to keep up with Joe. I couldn't keep That's up with the sucker. That guy is quick. That boy is that boy is fast, man. That boy is fast. Yeah, that was uh, that was a, that was I think that was the second mistake for me. You know, um, between the weight belt, which wasn't an issue right away when I got in the water, it became it became an issue later on. You know, when I inflated my BC, it wouldn't you know I had no lift. I remember when I was. When I was getting through 300, I'm like, ah, I'm probably getting close to where I should start calling it. And I had swum, you know, I'd swam down uh, head first, you know, kicking and going down. So my breathing rate was higher. So I was building up more CO2, obviously, because I was working harder uh, to get down there. And that was adding to the narcosis, of course. And then uh, it was probably like around 320, 330. I don't remember exactly the, the depth anymore, but I was like, well, I'm getting really, really woozy. 
Uh, and I, I got out of the, if I recall right, I, I kind of got out of that head, head, head down position and I could see Joe, you know, Joe was probably 30 feet, 40 feet below me. And, um, I, I looked down at Joe, uh, Joe gave me the okay sign. And I just said, uh, uh-uh, right here, you know, I'm leveling off. That's it for me. I'm not going any deeper. I don't recall exactly how deep I was, but it's probably like 340, 345 ish. I don't recall. But uh, when I tried to level off, you know, my BC was pretty much fully inflated, you know, 350, 351, 352. I'm like, holy fuck, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still sinking, <laughs> trying to level off. And, you know, I got a little panicky at that point. Uh, I'm certain. Um, I just grabbed onto that cable and I just kicked to get myself up and that exertion. Oh my God. I remember my head just spinning. Yeah, that was uh, not a not a not a not a pleasant experience. Not a pleasant experience. Yeah, well, yeah. you got like anybody in the world's going to have nitrogen narcosis, you know, at that depth, and let alone now you throw in all this physical exertion, <laughs> spike that exertion, CO two, you know, and I don't remember necessarily being, you know, anxious or nervous. I had to have been. I mean, Jesus, that was, you know. I don't even know how many years ago that was over, over almost Jesus, 20, 24, 25 years ago. But I do remember that that sound coming up was just like my head felt like it was going to explode. Like, wow, 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 Couldn't read my gauge. I had no idea how deep I was. And um, I think in the article, uh, when I spoke to Mike, I told him I felt really fucking good. <laughs> you know, which is kind of like a dichotomy because you're, uh, you're, like, taking, you're basically <laughs> taking care of these uh, paragraphs right here for a minute. Almost I'm felt, sorry, man. I'm oh, just, I'm just good. It's, it's, it's like word for word almost. But uh, yeah. telling you what was going on, you know, but I remember, you know, like I leveled off. I, I couldn't level off. It wasn't working. And I told Joe I was done. And you know, it was time to go up. And I didn't know if Joe was staying down and coming up. I had no idea. But I just, you know, BC fully inflated. And, you know, I'm sinking. I'm sinking. You know, not, 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 not good. Not good. And I just, you know, it was the first time I, I you know, I just, I, I grabbed onto that cable literally probably for dear life. And it, like I said, it's really weird because you hear, I, I heard this reverberation in my head. Wah, 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 wah. And, uh, I remember feeling really good. Um, and then it was kind of like that, that, that will to the five kicked in. It was like, I remember, I remember thinking about my wife. I had a two-year-old boy. Um, so I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't give in to this. And I, I, I recall when I got back up on the boat, you know, in the next day and weeks, months, even years after that, I could totally understand how people could just simply die deep on air due to narcosis if they just don't have that um, either strong will to survive, mm-hmm. which I totally had, uh, and some level of, of of experience to know what was going on and to have a plan, you know. And I had I had I had those three things going on for me, you know. I had a very strong will to survive. Um, I knew what was happening, and I had a plan. Um, take away one of those factors, maybe, and you know, this is reflecting back now. Then that certainly wasn't my my thought process necessarily, you know, uh, in front of my mind back then. But you know, you look back and you say, you know, what was it that got me through that? And it was, you know, it was definitely, you know, I had family, a, a newborn, and a strong will to survive. 
Um, but I had a plan, you know, I had a plan, you know, it was like, I have to get from here to here, however the fuck you do it, Bob, you know, you gotta, you gotta get to hundred feet and do deco. That's all you gotta focus. I couldn't even read my gauge. I had no idea how deep I was. You know? It says here that uh, you were inflating your BC and going deeper and deeper and deeper. 358, right. 350, my BC's full, 352, I'm not feeling too happy. I went from feeling really good to really narked. And this is where I made what I believe to be the second and most fatal mistake. I kicked. I used my legs, which is the normal diver reaction. But at that point, I just wanted to stop, not even to go up, just to stop. I think had I had I just grabbed onto the cable uh, and only used my leg, only used my arms to, to help pull myself up, it wouldn't have been as I wouldn't have been exerting myself as much. You know, the legs are big muscles, swimming, right, right. you know, kicking mm-hmm. legs is a big muscle. Uh, and, you know, and it wasn't, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure these were not baby kicks. I'm sure that these were really <laughs> hard kicks. I, I want to keep on sinking. Um, and I don't know that they would have been necessary. I don't know. Uh, uh, maybe had I just grabbed onto the cable and been able to slowly pull myself up, you know, that 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 CO2 buildup wouldn't have enhanced the narcosis so bad. Um, that I was literally beginning, you know, to, to black out. And I think that had I, but I didn't know. I mean, it wasn't like I said, all right, if I kick, I'm going to black out. Don't kick that, that, that thought process didn't exist. Right. I, I totally went into full, you got to stop this descent and go up mode and do whatever it takes, which was pull on the cable and kick your legs and get up. And that was when that noise just got so bad. It was definitely the exertion. Uh, and I, I have to, I have to think that there was a certain amount of panic at the same time um, that added to that negative experience, you know. And that, it was, it was, it was like, yeah, it was like someone put headphones on my head and said, like, whoa, 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 that's crazy. Never experienced anything like that in my life. Never not, did to mention, not to mention when you're sinking that fast, you, you said in there that the cable was encrusted in all kinds of fish. Oh, stuff. man, it was had barnacles on it. I mean, you know. So, yeah, I just never, you just slid down and just lacerated. You know, there's an interesting just, story I, I, from, from uh, one of the yeah. early Scott Cousteau tales of when they were in uh, Vaucluse and <laughs> – um, <laughs> uh, was it Farks or Didi that like grabbed the, the knife, grabs it by the blade, oh, uh-huh. comes out with the blade just stabbed. He's got the wrong end of the knife. He was so he was so bloody narked. That that that, that, that could have had knives sticking out all over it. I was grabbing that thing. all she had, and I didn't feel a thing. You know, but uh, I remember seeing it on the way down. Like, oh, this thing is really gnarly. So I didn't even I didn't even use it to really go down. It was just it was just a gnarly cable. Hmm. But uh, it got me back up, so I could care less. Hmm. The gas, the gas density at those depths on air, yeah. too. I mean, even light working, you're not going to be able to get rid of this. You're going to have respiratory insufficiency. It's not the inability to get rid of the CO2, right? Which <laughs> no, accelerates everything, as you said. Yeah, right, right. Yep. Yeah, not a uh, not a good scenario to be in. Not a good scenario to be in. Hey, hey, Bob. Back in those days, I mean, because here's what goes through my mind: is the CO2 buildup and, and the gas density. But I know it wasn't a big uh, point in in like the scuba industry as far as teaching newer divers. I think it's a little better now. Uh, but back then, like even when I was taking my deep air class, I mean, yeah, there's a mention of it, but there's not a big 
you know, as important as I think it is, it wasn't really emphasized. Did did you have any of a, like a little bit more education in that or it well, was just so like I, I know that I know that in my classes, uh we we focused a lot on on partial pressures. Right. Um it was an interesting thing for me because the uh teaching scuba diving in general, just the basic scuba class. So you, you think about it, you're teaching the physics and physiology of breathing air, right? You know, decompression sickness, narcosis, um, to people that you don't know may not have even graduated high school. Mm -hmm. Um, I spent a lot of time making sure that everybody that took the class, just basic scuba, and then certainly in nitrox, fully understood the physics and physiology of what we were teaching and the partial pressures of the gases. And they needed to know that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I, I teach now, like I teach long, I teach a lot of long range um, shooting, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a thousand yards, 1200 yards, 15 yards. We have, we have two ranges at, at, at my facility. Um, when I, I learned from scuba, it's interesting. I learned from scuba, my, 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 my years of teaching scuba diving, that it, I felt proud when I taught scuba diving that my students knew their stuff and I didn't want them to know it because they held a book and they could go to the book and, and refer to it. They needed to know the material. I would question them in the class. Do you know this? What's this? What's that? No, don't look at your notes. Don't look at the book. Think. I want you to think, 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 think. That's how well I want you to know it. And and, and my experience in scuba teaching that way now in my uh my long range classes, I tell people, put your notebooks away, no notebooks, no note taking, no notebooks. If you don't know the material at the end of my class, I didn't do my job. You shouldn't have to refer back to a book. And, you know, this, this, this came from a friend of mine, Robert Pallant, who was my IDC patty uh, instructor trainer. Um, his philosophy was you need to know the material, not that you can refer back to a book. Uh, and I, 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 I prided myself on that. So my students knew better than most, certainly not better than all, because, I, you know, there's a lot of really good instructors back then and certainly now. Um, but they had to know the material. I, I knew the material really, really well, because, you know, when you're instructing, you're teaching it all the time. This stuff's just you can you could write the book, you know, if you're doing enough of it. And if you take pride in teaching it that way. So. I don't know what's taught 26, 27 years later. Mm-hmm. No, I, I don't know what's been learned from the beginning of tech diving uh, to now. I suspect not a whole lot's changed, though, if I, if I had to really think about it, because <laughs> physics and physiology doesn't change. Right. It doesn't change. Um, and at the end of the day, it, it, you know, back then, it really boiled down to partial pressures of gases. Right. Uh, I imagine that that has not changed in 26, 27 years, whatever it's been. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't believe so. I just physics and physiology are physics. The, and physiology. the partial partial pressure hasn't changed. But what, what is new is the gas density work. Uh, this has been by Dr. Simon Mitchell and uh, Gavin Anthony. Okay. It's been in like the last decade that... Uh, and and also work by the Navy at the Experimental Diving Unit on looking at the maintaining a gas density below six point uh, two uh, grams per liter or below, which is equivalent to air. I think at one thirty seven, one thirty eight okay. feet, um, no, and that that has been new. And 
that yeah, we beyond had, that, I, we didn't have. Yeah, yeah we no, didn't have it wasn't, that. It wasn't available. No, we we knew it was dense, but right. So this is actually that the body at at these levels just can't can't remove enough CO two. Uh, you know, you can't get rid of it, so it starts to create problems, as it, as it were. I can attest as, as to that man. part. Yeah, right. <laughs> I can attest so, to that part. Yeah, uh, that certainly right. makes sense. But we didn't have that back then. Uh, there was there was no right. knowledge of that. My knowledge, nope. Well, I would, right. I would say the other big factor you had helping you out, Bob, is, is the fact that you weren't fixated on catching up to Joe, which I, I think is what catches a lot of people doing these deep dives is they get so yeah. fixated on that target of going deep that they, they, they don't have the ability to read themselves like you were having of knowing that I got to get the fuck out. Yeah. You know, when I had done some, I had over with domain a bunch of times, we did some deep cave, deep air cave dives to 240 to 250 maybe. And those were a little bit working because, you know, you're out, you're kicking a lot here because you're not, you're not necessarily sending once you're, you know, in a cave system, you, you got to propel yourself. So you're working a little bit harder. And I never, I never really had narcosis problems. Um, so I felt comfortable in those depths working, but, you know, I had not been to 300 before, you know, at all. Um, and, you know, I knew enough not to work so hard, Again, I wasn't out there to impress anybody. You know, I was just like, ah, oh, this would be a cool experience. I got to do something I hadn't I hadn't done. Um, but Jesus, man, that, that Joe Odom is he was that that, that boy's <laughs> fast. That boy's fast. That's why he was 40, 50 feet below me and everybody else. He just he could just motor on down. And uh, you know, uh I'm I'm okay pretty much in everything in life exceeding your comfort zone, but only by so much. You know, you, you got to push limits if, if that's your personality. I get that. But there's pushing your limits and then there's really exceeding the push. And I wasn't one for exceeding the push, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a range. There's that flow state range, you know, of, of being in, in flow. It's it's not much. You know, it's like le- less than 5% <laughs> of a push beyond your comfort zone. And then too yep. much more than that, then you're out of control. It's too difficult to maintain that state. Yeah, it's a, it's a fine line. But, yep. but pushing it is, is how you move, yeah. You say, um, I had no idea how deep I was. For all I knew, I was at 500 feet. I knew I had inflated my BC and my BC wasn't going up. I had about 1,400 PSI left in my main cylinder. And I've got the stage on me. So I decide I'm going to kick and I'm going to pull on that cable. I've got to reduce the pressure. I want to scream out of here. And I'm going to stop when I hit my depth gauge says 100 feet. Now, mind you, I can't read it. Correct. <laughs> so I remember at that when my depth gauge said 352, uh, that was when I had clamped onto that cable. And I looked at my depth gauge and my pressure gauge. I'm like, all right, I know where I'm at. And uh, I'm like, all right, you know, we, we got to go up. We got to go up. And then I kicked and I was like, whoa. And then I really got knocked and my gauge just, I really, I really had a hard time reading my gauge, you know, and at one point, you know, my gauge just like, I could feel it. I could feel it. And my, my, my gauge went black. I, I could not read my gauge. I just right there in front of me, you know, like, I, I, I can't read my pressure gauge. I can't read my, 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 my gauge. I'm like, all right, motherfucker, you, you got to get to 100 feet. You got, you got another bottle. You got to get to 100 feet no matter what. That's your goal, 100 feet. And I just kicked and pulled, kicked and pulled, and don't remember seeing a gauge. I don't, I don't recall if I said in the article or not, um, but it was probably like around 180 
one, one, about 180 feet, I think. I don't, did I mention it in the article? It was probably about like 180 feet, I think it was, where I started, started to see my gauge again. Yeah, yeah. So that's at, at about 175. But at first you say yeah. that uh, you're assuming that you're pulling on the cable. And Mitch Skaggs, who was at 325, yeah. said later that I went by him. But I never <laughs> saw him. I never saw Mitch. He said, Mitch told me back up on the boat. He says, your eyes were rolled up in the back of your head. He said, I thought for sure you were going to just blow up out of the water. You know, uh, and like I said, I don't, I don't remember seeing anybody um, un, until I was able to read my gauges again, which was that 175, 180 foot range. I was starting to get, you know, get some vision back and I could see what was going on. I'm like, all right, cool. I can see. And all right. Now, now, and I knew then that I was fine because I could read my gauge. I knew I had air and I was, the cable was right there in front of me. Um, I don't recall, you know, whether or not I was on that cable or not physically holding it. Um, you'd have to ask Mitch. You say that uh, you're thinking that the next thing's going to happen is that you're going to black out. And that's, you were saying to yourself, you're not going to black out. When this gauge says a hundred feet, you're going to stop and do deco. And that's what you kept saying to yourself the entire set. You can't black out. You got to do deco. You can't black out. You got to do right. deco. And you just kept right. kicking and kept repeating that. Right. And I think that that was, you know, um, if I did not have that as a goal, um, I probably would have blacked out completely to the point where I wouldn't have been able to function and do anything. Um, but I, I had it in my mind, you know, at 352 that, you know, you got you, you got a kid, you got a wife, you're on your way. You got to get to 100 and do deco no matter what. You can't black out. You know, I did I black out? I don't know. You, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I did black out on the way up. All I know is that, you know, for half the ascent, couldn't read gauges. I knew I was going up, you know, uh, you know, at what at, at what level of ability I was going up in terms of, you know, was I hand over hand or just pulling up on a cable where my feet actually kicking? You know, it, was there a point where my tanks buoyancy changed enough with a little bit less compression on the suit that I didn't need to kick anymore. My, my BC was bringing me up. You know, I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, like I said, I, I just, I just had it in my mind, you know, hundred deco, hundred deco, hundred deco, hundred deco, hundred deco, hundred deco. And I said that continuously up, up that line in my head, just 100 deco, 100 deco, 100 deco. You'll be fine. Hundred deco, hundred deco, hundred deco. Now you remember so, what you guys were doing for a, for a schedule for the deco? Was it uh, like a, what a, what a tables you'd written out or uh, 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 I don't planned or I don't using? I don't doubt, you, you know, now, I mean, it, we're going back. What year was that? 95. So that's what, 28 years ago. I don't doubt. Now I've moved a couple of times and I've got quite a bit of scuba stuff stacked away in boxes. I might very well have those tables. Oh, no kidding. That I had written out before I went someplace. I'll have to look and see if I have them. I don't remember what my deco was. Um, but uh, if I recall, my first stop was a 30 foot. Okay. Gotcha. gotcha. And did you have like other bottles hanging, waiting for you guys? Uh, no, just, no, just, all air no, everything, every, everything was all air deco. Yep. I don't recall what my bottom time was now. It, it probably wasn't a whole, I, I, I doubt it was more than 10 minutes, my, my bottom time. I don't, I don't know, but uh, I have to, I, I'll have to, that I don't know. I, I'd have to go, I'd have to go 
Heck, I, I might even have it in a logbook someplace, but I haven't looked at that stuff in forever. Yeah, but all my deco was done on air. Uh, same thing with Joe and Brett. They were, uh, just on the single tanks, they were they were going to do the, that 441 and the, that whole live. Because I remember she was saying something about like 80 minutes of uh, of deco. Uh, all of that on 180 they were planning? Well, if, if that's their plan and they're capable of doing it, Man, that's God bless them. Not this boy. <laughs> 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 nope. Wasn't happening with me. Um, I don't, I, I, I'm wondering, and I don't, I don't recall uh, my, my memory, just not clear enough going back then. I, I don't recall if anybody had put tanks in over the side of the boat. There might've been, I don't know. I don't, I don't recall. Wouldn't have made yeah. a difference to me. My, if I, if, 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 if I suspect I might need the tank, it ain't doing me no good hanging over the side of the boat. It needs to be on my body. That's just my philosophy here. I'm with you. I'm coming back up that line and getting to that boat. Yeah. Well, it says in the article you went to a 60 40 mix when he got up to 40 feet. Oh, that. You remember that? that that, that was, I do. Yeah. You know what I do? You know what? That was in the water. Yeah. So they had, that was, they had tanks in the water. I didn't carry that with me. They had that in the water. Yeah. But my, my deco was planned on air though. And I probably, I probably did all my deco on an air schedule using the 60 40. All right, so let me let me continue the story. So I got to my bottle of sixty forty, and <laughs> no, no sorry, James. <laughs> this inside joke, Bob. Brando's all I'm good for have to share ruining, ruining the story. <laughs> Seems to be my trademark. It's all good. So I think I'm pulling myself up this cable. And at about 175 feet, I can see blue in the background and everything's clearing up. I'm starting to see some divers again up above me at 130, 150, and I can read my gauge. I can read my pressure gauge. I've got a thousand PSI, 175, 150, 140. I get to 100 feet. I dump the air out of my BC and I say, thank the fucking Lord. I do yeah. my Mary's and our fathers. I swim up to 40 feet and I start my deco. I go over to the 60-40 mix and I do my deco. So that's yep. got to be like a, a, hell, a hell of a couple of minute ride, man, from, from 350 back up to. You know what? I wish I could tell you what it was like, but, you know, <laughs> my eyes were rolled in the back of my head, so I don't I don't quite remember, you know. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what that ride was like, you know, like I said, I, I, I could not, I, I, you know, at, at depth, I lost the ability to read my gauges and, uh, just set it in my mind, you gotta get to hundred feet, get to hundred feet and you'll be fine. Um, and I remember, you know, it was that 175 ish area, I guess. Um, you know, I was starting to get my vision back and I could see my gauge. Like when I say I couldn't see my, my gauge. You know, at first at depth, uh, from what I recall, um, it was almost like the batteries died on the gauge. Batteries just died. Like there was there was no numbers. There was no there was nothing. And then um, at some point on the way up, I'm not even sure that I actually even remember seeing the gauge itself in my hand. I might not have even seen the physical gauge itself in my hand. Like I said, I was just. I was in just go mode, just go, 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 100 feet, 100 feet, 100 feet, 100 feet. And um, I just, I don't remember seeing my gauge until I started seeing numbers again. I, I, you know, thinking back, I, you know, 
it wasn't just a blank screen. I actually think I physically could not see the gauge anymore. It was rough. I don't know. Mike, do you recall any conversation with me to that? The, the, the art, I mean, you, this was tape. So we turned on a tape when, you, as you know, when you called. So then we edited right. like right. the story. Uh, Bobby say during my deco, Joe Odom swims over and I write on my slate, scared myself today and pass the <laughs> slate over to him. And he writes down, were you in control? And I write, I thought I was, but I wasn't. Right. Right. And I, you know, and that's the, you know, that's the, that's, you know, reflecting back too, because again, it was, it was so long ago, you know, right down to when I decided to stop and told Joe, that's it for me. I was completely in control. Um, so I wasn't in control because, you know, when I, when I attempted to stop and couldn't, I lost control, you know? So, uh, I'm not even sure how to how to respond to that 28 years later, you know, but I do remember that I was completely comfortable going down to depth. You know, the shit hit the fan when I couldn't stop and I was no longer in control. And I, I think that's a lot why we're, you know, when we talk about that level of narcosis and, and what is that limit with deep air, it, it's because of that, because everybody tries to find the line, but the line it's so thin from being on the verge of losing the control to I've lost control. Correct. Yeah. Correct. I mean, there's been times where, you know, I've been in, you know, 120, 130, 140 feet of water on the on air setting the hook and just working like a son of a gun and that CO2 build up. I'd have to take a break because I could feel the narcosis coming in and 130 feet of water that I swim in, you know, weekly, you know, weekly, three times a week, four times a week, setting hooks. And, uh, you know, there's, there's been multiple times working really, really hard that I'm like, Oh, I got to just stop what I'm doing and take three or four breaths, clear my head out because of all that exertion. Um, and that's part of why I was, I think, you know, again, I felt that I had the experience to be go to, to go ahead and push my limits and go that deep um, because I know the science because I've had them and had to deal with them in the past in a much more controlled environment. Way more, I'm, I'm, I was way more comfortable on a wreck in 130 feet of water with five feet of visibility than I was <laughs> apparently in wide open blue water like that. You know, uh, just my backyard. You know, you get used to your backyard. You know, I remember I was. Uh, uh, on the Andrea Doria diving with Gary Gentile. And one of the things that we didn't do and uh, uh, our wreck diving on those big wrecks like that was, you know, run a line inside the wreck like a lot of cave divers would do inside of a cave. Um, we really studied the wreck and you had to know the wreck. You had to be able to go in the wreck by feel and come out by feel, having knowledge of the wreck, because if you relied on that line, Another diver could become swimming in, get tangled in it, cut it. You rely on that line and that line is gone. And I remember we were on a dive and uh, we were in a cabinet. I was outside the cabinet under a bulkhead. Gary was inside this cabinet on the opposite side of the bulkhead. And, you know, we had probably 15 foot of visibility going in. But, you know, the first time you reach into the mud and you pull out, you know, for an artifact, your visibility is 100% gone. You're, you're, in, you're in chocolate milk. And uh, I just kept feeling for Gary. He'd hand me shit and I'd put it in the bag and... Uh, you know, Gary says, when I'm done, you'll know, I'll be pushing you out of the way, <laughs> something like that. So, uh, we were done. A guy pushes me and we go to exit and, uh, I'm following, following Gary, even though I really can't see him because, you know, but I know, I know where I'm in. 
I, I came out on the wrong side of the bulkhead and found myself in clear water inside the wreck. And I knew right then and there that I made a mistake. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I need to go back into where I can't see, where most divers would not do that. Most divers would stay opt to stay in the clear water and look for another way out. Knowledge of the wreck, I know I need to go back and get to that bulkhead and get on the other side of it. Uh, and as soon as I got on the other side of that bulkhead, came out into a little bit clear water, there was Gary Gentile coming back to come and get me. He's like, you're okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. And you know, we got back on the boat and he's like, dude, he's out dive with you anytime. And he says, because you just, you, you kept your shit together. And I think that, you know, those experiences on the wrecks, um, when you are in those circumstances and you deal with stress, anxiety, you know, that, that gives you a certain comfort level when you want to push your limits a little bit because you've got that experience behind you. And that's part of the reason why I felt comfortable doing what I was doing uh, down in the Bahamas. But again, uh, you know, bad, bad mistake, you know, on the wrong weight belt and bad mistake, you know, kicking to, to get myself up. And I'm curious now, too, uh, on this whole uh, air density, Michael, how much of a factor did that play in? Didn't even know about it. You you would have had a very high, like twice the kind of mass that you should have. So that just in itself would would make any you know any exertion, and you were obviously exerting quite a bit. So that would have yeah. just shot it through the roof. You know, just your the CO two basically the the no, build I I in your, quite in your exerted, system. I exerted probably about you know in the beginning. Um, to, to stop and get going pretty freaking hard because you know, there was, you know, I was, I was dead weight, you know, on that cable. I, I could feel myself wanting to slip and go down. I'm like, all right, I got to pull and kick to go up because nothing else right. is working. So um, I'm sure that the, uh, the work level was pretty hmm. high. Hmm. And, and the blackout thing, I, I remember from uh, early cave fatalities and all one of it was the deep, deep water blackout. It was, it was a CO2 hit right. people would go unconscious from right. gas not just even and cave divers were aware of not exerting a lot but just the gas density alone like what happened to david shaw though on mix in uh bushman scott just you could you and it was on video he just couldn't breathe enough and mm -hmm. it right. expired you know so right yeah. right I'm curious, Bob, uh, when did you realize you picked up the wrong weight belt? Well after the dive or, or when right then? The, when I took it off on the oh, boat. On the boat, okay. <laughs> so it wasn't when you were inflating your BC and not going anywhere, no. okay, yeah. No, 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 it wasn't even a, you know, it was like, shoot, there's my, when I got on the boat, I remember seeing my belt. Okay. Belt that I <laughs> there it was, yeah. You freaking moron, you know. <laughs> we all do it, yeah. You say, so we get out of the water and I described to Joe what happened on the dive. And he says, that noise is very typical. If someone hasn't heard that noise, then he hasn't been that deep on air. That's called the wah-wah. He says, when you hear that noise, you've been fucked up on air. You've been deep on air. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I can't really comment to that. Um, I, you know, Joe Odom, a pile, pile of deep air experience. You know, I did not have a pile of deep air experience um, that I've ever experienced anything like that. Um, so, I, you know, when he made that comment, for me, it was like, well, I just learned something. You know, it wasn't something that I even knew about. You say here uh, towards the end, you say, I'm a damn good diver. 
but I don't do deep air diving. If it wasn't for all my years of training, all my years of acquiring knowledge and general good diving skills and the strong desire to live, I can understand how people just give in and die. I probably learned more on that dive than I could in a hundred dives about yeah. diveability, about the physiological true effects of gases on one's body, why we shouldn't be diving deep on air. I learned an awful lot about my own ability, tolerance, and desire to live. That's all true. Yeah. That's all, that's all true. You know, you, you learn a lot in life in anything that you do when you push the limit. Uh, you know, and it's a good experience, you know, there's, there's a lot of times where people push the limits and, and, you know, in all kinds of things, whether it's flying a plane, driving a boat, driving a fast car, scuba diving, snowmobile, the list goes on and on and on. You learn a lot when you push, when you push the envelope. But I think that when, you know, you're pushing the envelope, you need to be within your, your comfort zone. Now, how can one define a comfort zone? Um, it's a hard thing, I think, sometimes to do because my comfort zone is different than yours. Your comfort zone is different than than, 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 than than somebody else's. When you exceed your comfort zone and come back from that, that's a huge learning experience. And I, I, I would I would like to think that, that that isn't anything that you that's in anything that you do. You know, I remember, oh, maybe maybe 10 years ago, I was snowmobiling up in Canada uh, behind a buddy of mine who's an awesome snowmobiler. And uh, we came to this river that was about me 60 or 80 foot wide and it wasn't frozen over. I'm like, ah, oh, crap, man. We just traveled like 30 miles to get here. Well, now we got to turn around and go back. And he just freaking hammers on the snowmobile <laughs> and skips right across the freaking river and hits the trail on the other side. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And he keeps on going. Keeps on going. He doesn't even stand there on the other side to yell at me, to coach me, to, to tell me how to do this. I, I, I had no knowledge of how to do this. But, you know, I probably had, you know, 60, 70,000 miles of snowmobile experience, you know, riding just with him. We go every year to Canada for a week. And I'm like, huh, all right, well, you know, what's the worst that could happen? I'm not going to drown. I mean, I can swim. The water will be cold. Well, screw it. If he can do it, I can do it. A little out of my comfort zone, but what the heck? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. You know, I've got enough snowmobile experience. If he can do it and I've seen him do it, I'm going to do it. And I did it and I did it with no problem. I learned a lot on that snowmobile experience. You know, even though that experience was 100% positive, I still learned something about myself, uh, you know, my, 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 my need for adrenaline rush, that I was able to rely on my, my own ability from prior experiences to, to, to go ahead and do something that I had just seen done. So I think there's a lot to be said about learning from pushing your, your limits. When you exceed your limits and something bad happens, like what happened to me on, on the Wawa dive, when you come back from that, it's, it's humbling. It's humbling. Um, and, you know, for me, I can say there's not been a whole lot of times in my life that I've been humble. That was a humbling experience. And I think that you learn um, exponentially from a humbling experience, pushing a limit. Um, and I certainly did that day. And I, I, I think that's what I was trying to reflect in. I learned more about myself and about diving and about gases um, in that one dive that I could, you know, would have learned in another hundred divers and another hundred dives. I probably never would have dove that deep. You know, it just happened to be a conducive environment. I felt comfortable. I felt comfortable with who I was with. 
you know, beautiful, warm, blue water. I'm, I'm not in cold water. I'm not in a dry suit and I'm not in, in, in murky water. It's a controlled environment. Boy, was that misleading. <laughs> right, right. And I think that's the that's the biggest, you know, takeaway for you know, like all the new people going through scuba and learning scuba and learning about narcosis for the first time. It's, you know, the line is set, you know, hey, you, you go to 100 feet, you got to be careful, you know, you go past 60, right. 100 feet, you know, narcosis becomes a reality. But, you know, then you hear somebody talk about, you know, your dives at 240, somebody else is having effects at, you know, 130, all the way down to now I'm 352 and I'm shit faced. You know, where is that line? Right. It's so subjective. Right. From right day to day, person to person, environment to environment, that that it's so nearly impossible to really pinpoint where and how it's going to happen is, I think, is the mm -hmm. issue, right? Well, I think for the for for new people, uh, I would equate it to the functional drunk. Mm -hmm. you know, the functional drunk, they can out drink you and be drunk, and they can function because they have a tremendous amount of experience being drunk. They're a functional drunk. You know, I was not a functional drunk on that dive, if that makes any sense. You know, yeah, I had- uh, I, You're the new kid uh, trying, uh, <laughs> trying to do the 18 pack for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Shots. Yeah. Oh man, more than that. But, you know, so I, I think that, you know, it's, it's, you know, and scuba is an interesting thing too, because, you know, you're in a completely, it, it's one of the few, it's, it's really one of the, that's one of the few sports. It's not the only sport. It's one of the few sports, one of the few recreational things to do where you're putting your body in an environment where it doesn't, where it doesn't live. You know, we live it, we live in an air environment every day since the day we're born to the day we die. That's what we know. Um, and when you put yourself into that alien environment, a lot of things that you maybe don't foresee that could go wrong when they do go wrong, you don't have really nothing to pull from experience as a new diver to get you through it uh, unless you spend an awful lot of time doing that. And again, you know, I was very fortunate in that that was my business. So I had a lot of experience, not just diving, but, you know, I had a lot of experience in teaching it and teaching it uh, efficiently, safely, and with a, a a certain amount of pride that I don't think a lot of people had. And I, I have a story I, I, I can uh, elicit a little bit more from you guys on that. But when you're a diver and you're, and you're teaching it, you're teaching those skills, you stay sharp. You stay sharp. I remember I had a student uh, one year came to me and only had one goal was to dive the Andrea Doria. And I don't think this diver had uh, maybe 30 or 40 or 50 open water dives, had taken a nitrox class from me, wanted to take a trimix class from me. And I said, you're not anywhere close ready experience wise to even take a trimix class. So I said, uh, I won't take you on a trimix class and, you know, I'll take you on a rec dive, but you, you know, I'm not taking, I'm not taking you out on a Doria dive, you know, or on a sub dive or a Texas tower or Coimbra. Um, you're not going to do any deep dives with me until you have, you need to get a lot more experience. And uh, that was in the spring. Uh, he came back the following, uh, not, he came back later that fall, uh, having had gone down to Billy Dean's down in Key West. And he comes into the store. He says, listen, I see there's a, a, a charter that you're, you're on going to the Andrea Doria. 
I want to go on your charter to the Andrea Doria. I said, well, you're not qualified. So he takes out his card, his Trimix card, with Billy Dean's, Billy Dean's name on it. And of course, our friends are obviously with Billy Dean's. And uh, without even thought, I knew exactly what had happened. The guy called up Billy Dean's. Hey, I've taken a whole bunch of classes with Bob Ramon. I want to come down and take a Trimix class. I'm qualified for that. And I, you know, I, I want to get prepared to go on the Andrea Doria. And there's not enough up here to do that. This is what my thought process was. And of course, you know, I got the, got the guy's card in my hand and I'm looking at it and I says, be right back. And so I go to my office and I call Billy Dean's up. Hey, Billy, it's Ramon. Hey, Bobby, what's going on? I said, so listen, I've got John Doe here that uh, uh, you uh, certified him in, uh, in Trimix diving. He wants to dive the Doria. He says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember who that is. I said, so listen, I says, I'm going to guess that this guy came down there and said that he knows me. He goes, yeah, he did. And uh, I said, I'm going to guess that he said he probably did a, uh, some rec classes with me and just couldn't do the Trimix class with me, schedule-wise, whatever, and came down and did it with you. He says, yeah, that's exactly what happened. I says, Billy, this guy doesn't have 30 dives under his belt. Tear that card up. So I did. So I went out. I went back out onto the onto the floor, and I uh, said to John Doe, "I says, so listen, I says, you're not going to like what I'm going to do, but I'm doing this because I'm saving your life." And I took out a pair of scissors from underneath the counter, and I cut his card in half, and I gave it back to him. And I said, "Listen, you know, John Doe, I said, I love the fact that you want to dive the Andrea Doria. I get it. I says, but you're not ready. And I says, and I, what I don't appreciate is you using my name going down to Florida, and." Uh, using that to get something that you're not ready to have. And I know that that's what happened because I just happened to be really good friends with Billy. I said, uh, so you're not going on the Doria and this card is, is no longer valid. Um, so my, my point is that I took my training of, of, of clients very, very, very serious. Uh, and so did a lot of the people that I hung out with, whether it was uh, Wing Stocks or Billy Beans, Nip Skaggs, but there's a there's a there, back then there was a plethora of people who just wanted to teach it and they didn't care who they taught it to and their experience their credentials didn't it didn't it didn't make a difference it didn't make a difference and I recovered you know I recovered a body from a guy who was taught just the wrong stuff to do uh, from competitors and you know. That was really hard on the family, and the family, of course, came to me because this particular diver signed up for a rec class with me, went and did a rec class with somebody else and died on a, on a rec charter that I happened to be on, and I wound up recovering the body. And it was because of bad training, because of a bad instructor who didn't care, you know. So that's sad because those are the people that think that because of the card – and that they knew somebody of clout that suddenly empowered them and gave them the experience uh, and the ability to do things. And it doesn't, you know, and, you know, I know in those early days, a lot of that went on. I don't know what goes on today. Certainly I hope that doesn't go on, but again, it comes from, you know, you got to have a, a certain amount of personal pride, you know, when you teach. And I was a hard ass, you know, I, I lost a lot of clients because like, because I was a hard ass, you know, you're going to be good or you're not going to do it. And if you don't have the qualifications to do it, I ain't going to take it because you want to give me 600 bucks. It just doesn't work that way. So I get the adrenaline end of those people that they want to get there fast, but we're going into a really weird environment, you know, when um, you, you jump into water. <laughs>
things, yeah. things happen and, and they, they, they can happen quick. And it's not something that, you know, you're naturally used to, you know, you're driving on a snowy road all the time. It happens with a little slippy slidey here and you deal with it because you do it once a year and you drive every day. The scuba diving is very, very different. It's a different animal. It really yeah. is a different animal. You say that all the time, you know, you can, you can have like a, these CO2 issues, like we were saying earlier and issues underwater and anxiety and panic when you're, you're mountain biking, you know, and, and have cardiac arrests from that, you know, but you can, pull over to the side of the trail and sit down and catch your breath, you know, uh, sit on a rock for a half an hour and drink a bottle of water and have a, have a sandwich, you know, underwater, yeah. you have that luxury. You're in it until the end, you know, and then, then you still got to do the hardest part, which is actually make the ascent, you know, uh, when, when things are the absolute worst, you still got the whole dive to finish, you know, so it's a total. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think in the in, in both communities, both in the recreational and in the in the in the, in the technical diving community, um, and I think this goes for really any any anything in life. Sometimes you just get lucky and you fall in and meet the right people. You just get lucky. Sometimes you don't get lucky and you fall in and you meet the wrong people. Um, knock on wood for me. I've always met the right people. You know. Uh, I've, I've always met people that they actually gave a shit about what they did, you know, and I know a lot of people that didn't, you know, back in the dive community, they, they could give a shit, you know, I, I, but I think I was lucky because I could have just as easily when I first learned the scuba dive, just fell in with the wrong crowd, you know, but I didn't, I fell in with, I, you know, the right crowd, you know, and I remained part of that crowd. Very cool stuff, man. Um, Bob, that is one hell of a story. Michael, you know, thank you so much for bringing yeah. it to yeah. the people back in the day. I'm glad we can redo it. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, please, please. This has been so good, Bob. Yeah, hearing you kind of uh, awesome. going back awesome. and reading this and thinking about the whole times. Yeah. yeah. Thank yeah. you. And it makes me sad, too, to think about, you know, Brett passing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, you know, we, we started off with a pretty, uh, you know, fun little look at Brett's past and then it led us down a rabbit hole that uh, got us. So, uh, well, I think I dug that hole pretty deep myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, yes. but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to reminisce and go back and talk about us. It's, it's, uh, it was quite an experience and it's, I think, I think even today, I think it's still a good, depending upon how it gets used. I think that it's a good, it's a good learning tool. Uh, you know, I think people mm -hmm. can use it to say, you know, you know, you know, some people may say, you know, this guy, Bob, he was an idiot. But if, if people really understand it, no, he's actually a pretty good, pretty, pretty, pretty good diver. And mm. it could happen to, happen to anybody. anybody. And you can use it as a, as a tool, you know. I, uh, since then, I, I become a, a pilot. And a real quick story uh, on, a, on a screw up, uh, similar to this, really. But this was an air, obviously, because I was flying a plane. Um, so I was instrument rated. Anyway, I had to, I had to fly to New York to go pick up. Uh, a lot of 50 BMG, 50 caliber ammo uh, for, for one of my shoots. So I flew my, my plane up to New York and a, a buddy of mine loaded all the ammo in, into the into the plane and they loaded all in the storage compartment and uh, everything was loaded. I was way behind on, on my uh, center of gravity on the plane. So when I took off uh, and started to gain elevation into thinner air, the plane started to sag. I was having a really, really hard time maintaining any kind of altitude. And, uh, and I was, uh, I wasn't IFR, but I was in this, I was in the system. I was on, on the radio with air traffic control. It was kind of a little busy where I was. 
And, uh, you know, I had to fly and maintain uh, 7,500 feet and I couldn't, couldn't get up there. And the plane just wanted to, like, oh man, you know, as I burn fuel and get to where I'm going to go, I'm not going to be able to land this plane. So, of course, now I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, how do I get out of this situation? What do I got to do? What do I got to do? I'm like, all right, you know what? You got to put the plane in a nosedive, put on the autopilot. At least if the plane's in a nosedive, when I go back into the back of the plane, I'm going to add 220 pounds more off center of gravity of the plane. So I'm like, you know, I, I got to be the nosedive to do that. And then I'm probably going to have like maybe a minute and a half to get the ammo out of the back into at least the back seat to change the balance of the plane and do this while I know a- ATF's going to be yelling on the radio. Why are you descending? So uh, that's what I did. Wow. I put the plane nosedive, ran to the back of the plane. And I'm bringing all the because I was by myself. I'm loading all the ammo in the front, hop back up. I'm like, oh, piece of cake. This is all good. 2,000 feet, perfect, no problem. I get on the radio, uh, you know, Binghamton, uh, this is uh, Dakota uh, 289 of Southern Quebec, uh, climbing and maintaining 7,000 feet as requested, you know. If you let me get to them before they start yelling at me. So anyway, point of the story, you know, if I didn't know what was going on, if I didn't have experience from prior flying, if I didn't pay attention when I was a student uh, of everything about, you know, uh, CVs and, you know, all that stuff, it very well could have been plane crash. My instructor, who I shared the story with, it's like I, I called Mike when I called up Neil. I was like, Neil, I got to tell you a story about this. He says, can I have your permission to use this story in my classes? I said, absolutely. Absolutely. I completely screwed up. Wasn't paying attention. I was BSing with the guys at the airport while they were loading it up. I got in the plane and took off. And, you know, yeah. I, I did a stupid thing. But again, it was, uh, I had a lot of experience up to that point flying. So uh, I was able to figure it out and uh, and, and turn it into a, a positive. So it's good to go back, I think, to sometimes, you know, these stories and use them as a, as a learning tool, you know, if people do. And, and maybe people don't. I don't know. I don't know. You and Scully. <laughs> have been in the community over 20 years. So I have no idea, you know, where that article is gone and what is done. Yeah. You know, I have no idea what it's Actually, now the the close calls thing. Um, there's a fellow Stratus Koss, a Greek cave instructor, mm-hmm. put out a book. I think it was before the pandemic. The last year is called Close Calls, and it's like sixty people, kind of sharing sixty high profile, you know, global divers uh-huh. in various categories sharing, uh, and that that's been a big hit. And of course, Gareth Locke with Human Factors, mm-hmm. the human diver, has been. Uh, very proactive in saying that you know you know he comes out of British aviation actually he was uh, in the Royal Navy, uh, Royal Air Force, but uh, yeah they're having a just culture that leaders and high profile people need to be we need to be able to share our mistakes, right? And have an atmosphere where you can do that without shame or blame, right. so yeah. that we can all learn you know and right. you're right. a right. vanguard right. of that in doing mm-hmm. you were a vanguard. Well, I could that, well uh, at the time I could you know, like I say I. I could care less what people say. It's you know one of the reasons why I call them. I got you know I got to share this. People need to know about this. Uh, and again, you know, I was uh, I was concerned, you know, that Joe or Brad or anybody else in the industry would, would think negatively of it. And if they did, because they might very well have, I don't know. They never There's shared a story. that. <laughs> they never shared. They never shared. They never shared, they never shared it with me. They were always. I mean, I remained friends with with Rhett and Joe for a long time. Well, Michael, we'll, yeah. have to, we'll have to share that uh, that story maybe on part two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What one idea though? I mean, you can. Uh, but we should. What I'd like to do is maybe uh, once is out, but we'll in a 
coming issue of in-depth reprint the the story and then the, yep. have a link of the podcast in there too Great. so we can have it all together and and push it out i i think yeah i think that would be really good i think there's a follow-up to a story on the deep air that bill hamilton worked on so we yeah, can have yeah. it as a package i think it would be pretty cool yeah 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 um, is uh is deep air dead that that story yeah, yeah that that story could kind of go with it you know and and then your discussion no really good and yeah 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 Awesome. Well, you guys, uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight, Bob. Uh, it, it's a real pleasure. I'm so glad you returned my uh, yeah. my email message there. And uh, oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Much. It's been great, Michael. Uh, great seeing you at D- Dima. Uh, yeah, no, it was great. We just my horse, yeah. my horse voice cleared up enough for tonight <laughs> in order to, uh, to to do this. The voice and the feet, those two things. Anything from you, Brando, at the end? No, I want to thank both you gentlemen. Uh, it's been an honor uh, from following you guys for so long and your story, Bob. And um, oh, my, my, my pleasure. My pleasure. I was just, uh, good to reminisce. Good to go back absolutely. in time. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been a true honor. Thank you. You know, I really liked uh, a lot of things Bob said and, and uh, for that matter, Michael, a lot of things just echo things that we've been saying for our, our entire almost six years podcasting with this uh, Great Dive podcast. But it's really, uh, what's the word, gratifying to hear it come out of uh, these guys' mouth. You know, like the way Bob teaches things, my exact approach, to talking about partial pressures and people have to know this stuff. You can't be able to look it up in a book. There's stuff you need to have in your noggin if you're going to be a diver. Absolutely. I, I and 100% agree with, with with you, you know, and I've taken shit for years. Right. About it. You've taken shit for oh. years about it like they're just a Take beginner shit. open water diver. They don't need to be, you know, tech diving no, they cave don't. dive, and I agree with you. No, they don't. I'm not trying to do that. But they but need to know about if you're going to be a diver. There's things you need to know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, find the part in the Open Water 101 where they go on about gas density, gas exchange, carbon dioxide, partial pressure, all the things. Don't please don't tell me that's a technical diving issue. That is a diving issue. Period, and probably at the uh, center of the snowball of the many snowballs of uh, of incidents and fatalities. Absolutely. It's in the open water training materials of the open water beginner class that I teach. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But you are on the fringe, dude. And I'm You're happy the, to be there. I'm oh, thankful yeah. to be there because I, I can present something that's real that means something to me. And that's what I was like in what, what Bob was saying. He was saying, too, like, like, hey, you know, I'm not for everybody. I got a lot of shit from a lot of people, too, like I was too much of a hard ass. But you know what? I was 100% confident in every single student that went out. Well, I think, you know, at the end of the day, when you are an instructor, when you are responsible, you know, after you sign the card, it's not all over. Now you, you go, these guys are out there in the underwater world, thanks to me, and hopefully they come back to their loved ones every day from it. And not that, you know, scuba diving is super dangerous. It is thankfully very forgiving. But at the same token, I'm not doing my best if I strictly, like for the main agency that I still am affiliated with, 
If I strictly go by their book and what they say, in my humble opinion, you're missing extremely important aspects of scuba diving in your education. Because it's also candy-coated. It's not, yeah, it's dumbed down to a very, very low common denominator. And all in the name of we can make an extra buck because we don't have to fail someone. If we have the lawyers lawyer it all up so that we teach them stuff where they they don't have a defense in a court of law if they're found floating or sunk at the bottom of a lake or ocean. You know what I'm getting at? I, well, I yeah, know this sounds and harsh and mean, but I... I God damn it, I, that's what I believe, and I think if you examine the way things are done, you'd come up with the same conclusion. And I think that's what Bob just said, too, is like he had many experiences of running into people with bad training because yeah. of a bad instructor who didn't care about the diver, didn't care or about didn't themselves, know. didn't care about, like, really cared deeply, and he, they did it all yeah. for money and all for a card. right. Or they didn't know. I mean, and ignorance is a, isn't a very good excuse, it, but it's out there. There's a lot of ignorance. When you only have 100 and whatever dives <laughs> under your belt in maybe one place, you haven't got much to offer. End of story. You Absolutely. just don't have much to offer. You know, the other thing that I thought it was a great discussion, which is so far deeper than uh no pun intended than uh <laughs> than i've ever really had before about the deep air conversation because for so long i've been so anti-deep air like we know enough about it today like why are we even bothering with it but boy does bob bring up a great point of well you kind of got to play with it a little bit so that you can understand what's happening if it's your enemy yeah. you got to know your enemy man you got to know your it's enemy sun tzu art of war Absolutely. We're at war with deep air, right? So, but there's a difference between your 140 <laughs> feet, you know, and waking up on a one night stand with your enemy and, <laughs> and 400 feet of water, totally fucked up, yeah. you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there's it's one thing to kind of push your limits a little bit, and then there's another thing to kind of fucking leave the limits 10 miles behind you, you know? <laughs> so, but very, very, very cool conversation. And uh, Bob seemed like an awesome guy. This is my first time really meeting Michael and uh, would lo have loved to chat with him more too. Uh, great people. Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was great having Michael along. Shout out to him and the crew over at In-Depth for sure. Um he and I have been chatting. He sent me uh, a lot of uh, this extra stuff in regards to yeah. this Wawa article. So big, thankful shout out to him. And uh, I ran into him down at the Dima show and asked if he'd like to be part of this. And he was super excited, which That's made awesome. me super happy. I was like, oh, my God, he actually wants to, to be part of the this. Yeah, so, with us. So, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it, it, it was great. It was great. Yeah, this is uh, going to be up in our top Top episodes for sure. I think it, it might blow away the Cayman Cowboys, dude. I think it very well may. And uh, for that, Brando, I'm I myself am very thankful that, well, that that's going to be the case. That's uh, apropos, given it is the day after Thanksgiving. Uh, you are correct. Yeah. And uh, how was your Thanksgiving, by the way? Did you get to you know spice some things up uh, <laughs> after Thanksgiving? <laughs> uh, <You know? laughs> 
I'm too old for that shit, but I... <laughs> you know, as uh, as you were diving headfirst into mountains of mashed potatoes oh, and cranberry man. sauce, uh, did you uh, mention at the Thanksgiving table the true unsung hero of the holiday season? You, that is right, people. The Manscaped Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. <laughs> It's time to go cold turkey on your old razor and take care of your own, you know, turkey leg, if you know what I mean, with the lawnmower giblets. 5.0. Your own giblets. Giblets, whatever. <laughs> take care of your own giblets. Uh, visit manscaped.com. Use our code TGDP for 20% off and free shipping and enjoy Thanksgiving in style with the lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. Gobble, gobble, boys. You know what? I'll bet the because Manscaped wasn't around back in the nineties, I bet uh if Bob had Manscaped, might have had a different outcome. He'd uh Well a, he'd, still the same outcome, but a different experience. You know, he uh he had the scruffy look. He still carries kind of that scruffy look today. You know, but uh, you know Well some traditionally, of us have a five o'clock shadow at like eleven in the <laughs> before noon. Okay. Right, right. Well <laughs> the problem is, you know, back in those days you had to go Smooth, clean shave. Oh. Scruffy for, you know, four or five days. Smooth, right. clean shave. Scruffy. Like now with, with the magic of uh, that lawnmower 5.0 and the <laughs> Beard Hedger Pro. Like the, the, there's your your face and your balls. You can <laughs> dolly that thing up. You know, Every all single day. You, you look like a perfect copy of yourself every day. <laughs> Perfectly groomed. It's so easy. Just think of showing up Thanksgiving uh, dinner, <laughs> all groomed up, you know, all groomed up perfectly for that dinner. Uh, you go in, you know, you're going in for for seconds on uh, on that food. Just don't don't have too much, don't imbibe too much because you might end up showing your whole your whole manscaped. Well, product. even still. That uh, performance package 5.0 Ultra is the ultimate bundle for the man who deserves it all. Brando, it's it's the whole plate and dessert. You get the 5.0 lawnmower in there. You get the Weed Whacker 2.0 ear and nose trimmer. Manscapes wonderful liquid formulations and two free gifts. Set of those boxers, maybe. Yeah, you get a set of those uh, Boxer 2.0 uh, and that toiletry bag. It is the Boxer 2.0. I did notice that. They're uh, like the, the last perfect, perfectly wrapped present for uh, your little pants present, you know, that you're going to be uh, <laughs> sticking under the tree there pretty soon. Everybody get uh, 20% off of free shipping with the code TGDP at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off free shipping at Manscaped. Use the code TGDP, be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all for Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. I'm going to be thankful for Manscaped this, <laughs> this Thanksgiving. I am thankful for Manscaped this Thanksgiving. As a matter of fact, we went around the table. We always do that, go around the table, and you've got to say what you're thankful for. And I said, smooth balls. <laughs> it didn't go over well. <laughs> Listen, family, this is something I, you, you can't appreciate with words alone. Let me show you. Exactly. And that was the last Thanksgiving we ever hosted. Well, Brando, should we, uh, should we put a wrap? Should we sign some logbooks on the whole uh, 
Brett story for a little while. I'm sure we'll come back to more Brett stuff in the in the future. Well, there's still, I mean, there's still a large portion we haven't talked about. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, mean, there's still more we can talk about. But yeah, I mean, we've given a given a, a nice dedication to old Brett. Very very sorry to to see him pass. Um, and but, Joe, uh, and Joe as well recently. So yeah, and Joe Odom as well. So they're both gone. Uh, two big names in the diving world, and while. You know, may not agree with uh, doing 440 feet on air. I, I definitely agree with the spirit and the um, just the way he was. Seemed like uh, would have loved to have hung out with him. Oh yeah, no, no kidding. You know, and uh, I would say that the reason why you and I are going to be on mix. In yeah. a, on a dive in 180, 200 feet of water is because of the stuff that they did in those days. Right, just uh, like exploring deep air. Yeah, it had to be done. It, it, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, you they don't they, know they what were the pioneers of uh-huh. it. Yeah. So, yeah. I hope it kind of. Well, we didn't really talk about it, but that whole dichotomy. You know, how do you come to terms with with the idea of diving deep on air and still being responsible to to the under to the new people in diving? You know, because you're trying to tell them, don't dive deep on air. And then you're I'll be right, deep on air. I'll be right <laughs> back. Right. <laughs> Here, hold my beer. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's uh, sign some logbooks okay. then. Uh, Brando, Here, let, me, me. Uh, let me see your logbook here. I'm, I'm going to leave you with a quote from old Brett. Okay. Uh, you don't get experience simply by sewing patches on your fucking dive jacket. <laughs> James, I'm going to make a patch of that quote and sew it on my dive jacket. I love it. All right, everybody. Uh, thank you for uh, putting up with this uh, uh, these last couple of weeks. It's been a lot of fun. And a uh, big shout out again to Michael Manduno and Bob Ramo for uh, for joining us. Uh, go check out uh, In-Depth Magazine, uh, Michael's uh, current main project. And I think we will talk to you next week. This is uh, Brandon Schwartz saying, dive safe, be well, from the Great Dive Podcast. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando.